Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three of Off the Chain, a Keyforge podcast. I'm your host, Kenny Blaze, along with Bald Mike. Good evening, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great, Kenny Blaze. How about you? <laughs> I am doing fantastic. How did your games of Keyforge go this week? This was a pretty good Keyforge week. Uh, we played a couple of games after we recorded our episode last week, mm-hmm. and then we both played in not one, but two. Yes, that's two tournaments at our local game store this week. We played in an Archon format on Tuesday night, and we played in a Sealed on Thursday night. Absolutely correct. Uh, I believe we both did pretty well this week uh, in both the tournaments. Um, on Tuesday was our Archon event. Uh, I went 3-0. and I believe you went 2-1. and I did. I went 2-1 and uh, once again uh, going into the, the, the finals. It came down to me versus you. Uh, we were having a little too much fun that night. We were Doing, making some jokes, uh, you and I both being longtime WWE fans, we decided to make that final match a career match. Sure was a career match. Your brief tenure here at Off the Chain Podcast was quickly ended. I lost, so I was fired from the podcast. But after some strict uh, contract negotiations, aka Kenny needed a ride home from the tournament, I got my job back. It's true. It didn't last all that long. We're well happy to have him back in the family. Just don't press your luck again. Oh, man. Um, as far as the rounds go, my first two rounds went pretty quickly. I'm pretty sure my matches were done within 10 minutes. Um, I was playing that Amber Ramp deck again, and honestly, the games aren't just going to go very fast. I mean, they're going to get blown out somehow, or I generate so much, it's just going to be over. How'd your games go? I started off a little shaky. Uh, my son, Ethan, came with us this week, and he wound up using my deck that I'm more comfortable using the deck I feel is more powerful so I had to use a deck that I've only gotten about two to three games with uh, but I still managed to go two and one I made it uh, to the final two and oh until I played against you uh, my first game was against my son Ethan and I finally got a win against that deck which is the first time that's happened for me uh, my second game was against Mason one of the locals at the store uh, that was a, a really close game um, we both had two keys and he had a uh, couple amber at the end, but I was able to forge my third key before he got his. So I know that the deck that you let Ethan use this week was the deck you prefer to use in these Archon events. It's perhaps your more winningest of your decks. Um, but when you played against it in round one, you were able to beat it. Do you feel personally that this game is still a game where the deck dictates a winner, or is it really skill of the player? I think there was a couple issues there. He hadn't played in a couple of weeks. He's been usually playing the Final Fantasy card game at the store on Tuesday nights while we play Keyforge. Um, so I think that had something to do with it. It's been at least two, probably even three weeks since the last time he played. And I actually had this conversation with a friend of ours, Anthony, last night online that there are some decks in this game that are pretty easy to play. I don't want to say they play themselves, but they're easier, and there are some that require... Uh, a little more skill to play and to pilot correctly. I mean, I definitely agree with that. The The one I've been playing is really an autopilot deck. You play the cards, puke the ember, win the game. It doesn't require any brain thought at all. But I have some other decks that definitely require proper sequencing to be able to get their wins. That's good. I just was wondering, because you had played against your better deck kind of last minute, um, how that how that worked out for you. Yeah, it was definitely a last-minute decision as to what deck to use, so I was just a little nervous going in, uh, but I was happy to finally get a win against that powerful deck that I, of, of our collection. And then again, on Thursday, we played a sealed event. This was your first sealed event, and this is my fourth 
I believe, having played in some pre-release events uh, for the game. How did you like it? I loved it. Um, this this was my first sealed, like you said. Um, it's just such a fun format. You don't know the deck that well, so everybody. It feels like everybody should be on an even even playing field. But again and again, I wound up going two and one. I kind of blew my second game. I made a silly mistake, but I got a cool deck, had a lot of fun, and still got some store credit for going two and one. Yeah, I mean, you get store credit. You walked away with a deck. Um, I went three and zero, oh, but honestly, I got pared down. In the third round, so I don't think I should have won all three rounds, but having played so much Keyforge, I'm just having reps against these opponents, and they just don't play as much, which is fine. The game's still really new, but it's just like a knowledge of what the possible interactions can be, even though, yes, the decks are brand new to everybody, and they're sealed. I've seen enough games to kind of be able to feel my way through them, but I think as time goes on, that advantage is going to dissipate and you're going to see more much more tight games being played at the sealed level oh definitely and we even had people there thursday night from i know a couple guys from x-wing were playing keyforge uh for the first time so it's great bringing in new people to this game getting new players playing that's going to keep the game going even longer for us yeah i mean getting new players in definitely helps keep the game going uh especially with the sealed format as opposed really any of the formats except Archon, keeps the game going. I have found that bringing the same deck week after week, or at least bringing your most powerful decks week after week, kind of gets boring. I want to play all my different decks, or I want to play other people's decks in like the Swippy Swap formats. Really be able to play maybe chain bidding, you know, best of three. We, we swap decks after game one, and if we split, then we go to a, a chain bid, which Charlie and I played yesterday um, for a few hours just using random decks we have laying around, and it's so much fun. Definitely keeps the game fresh. Yeah, I think that's something that they have to decide at the store level what they want us to do or what they'll let us do as far as formats for the Tuesday nights. And right now it's just a lot of it grinding for store credit since there are no FFG kits available yet. It's true. Um Store credit grind is an option. I mean, this is just one store where we play our tournaments at. We could set up a night anywhere to play Keyforge, and we can use the best formats that are available. Um, just because the store is locked into this Archon thing doesn't mean we have to be. You know, that moves into, like, the game is lighthearted. You know, it is definitely not a beat you over the top with these rules and really bog down cards. Like, they have some good flavor text on the cards, Mike. Um, we've gone over a few of them this week. So we're going to go over, I think, four right now. Uh, first, tell us the quote on Niffleape. The quote on Niffleape is, did it just say Niffle? Captain Bell Jericho, and that's on the Niffleape card. So I think this is saying, like, the ape itself is like a Pokemon, and it's just saying its name as it's running around, like, Niffle, 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 Niffle! I don't know. Seems like a weird ape man. Now I want to know if that's exactly what it sounds like or not. I mean, it kind of has to. The next card we're going to go over is shoulder armor. I can't see anything. Do I look cool? There could be some giant shoulder pads. Sure. I mean, <laughs> at least from the 80s. <laughs> or if you played Kador in War Machine. Yeah, definitely Kador. Uh, your favorite card, Redress. 
Uh, this is a, a favorite of a few people. Thou shalt wear pants. Definitely. I mean, while I'm at home, and especially while I'm recording this podcast, I do not wear pants. But if I have to go out, yeah. I wish he was lying. I wish I was, too. <laughs> and then my favorite card is Radiant Truth. Truly, I say to you, pie is superior to cake. From the ravings of the prophet Grizzleheart. But truly, I say to you, Mike, apple pie is superior to any cake that I have ever had. You won't hear me argue. No, it is. It's just a, a sample of like some of the fun quotes they put on these cards. And it's nice that it's so lighthearted. And there's a whole bunch more just in this core set. It's great. I, I love what they've done with this. Yeah, I think the first couple of games I played, especially on the preview this weekend, I didn't even notice the flavor text. I was too busy reading the actual text of the cards. And then somebody mm-hmm. pointed it out to me. And I started reading a couple of them and chuckling as we're playing. All right. Something I wanted to talk about this week with you, Mike, is your turn one process if you're the first player. So you're the player that's drawn seven cards and you only get one card to play. Um, I know I go through a pretty basic logic tree to figure out what I'm going to do with those seven cards. So to start, I like to see if there's a singleton card. Like one card of my seven does not belong to the two other houses. And the logic behind this one is that the remaining six cards will be from just the two houses, so I can have a better turn two and then a better turn three. Right, so you're saying one oddball card in your hand. Correct, one oddball. If I don't see one oddball, I'm looking for an artifact. Because artifacts take a turn to come online, because, you know, they have to get ready. They They do come to play exhausted. They do. I like to get them down early, and I'd like to not start, at least at this point, just with a creature. Just a basic creature I don't like to start with. My third tree I hit is like an amber generator that gives me two or more. If I don't see any cards like that, like treasure map or dust pixie, I definitely will go into a mulligan. What is your process you go through? Um, like you said, it depends on what's in my hand. If I have the one-off, that's usually going to be my choice. I'll also, I usually rank Amber Generation as pretty high because it is a race to forge three keys. So I want to get up to six Amber as quick as possible. The next I'll look at, it depends on the format. If it's an Archon format where I have a chance to see my opponent's deck list and I see he doesn't have any artifact removal, I'll look for an artifact next, like you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he does have artifact removal, I might wait, depending on what the rest of my hand looks like. And then last, I'll look for a creature that I can get out that will either give me an amber for playing it, um, something like uh, Dust Imp that it's just a little creature that's likely to die that'll get me to amber pretty quick. Sure. Something along those lines. Yeah, I think it's really important to evaluate your hand, not just for the turn one, but really for your first three turns. Uh, And don't be afraid to take that mulligan, because if you're not seeing your optimal turn one play for the the list you know, you get another card draw after you play that one card. Uh, and it's a good thing to just draw into fresh cards. It is a card game after all. I remember um, Thursday night with the sealed event, I think I mulliganed almost off every one of my three games because it was a low creature deck and a lot of combos uh, wanted setting up. Uh, so I think I'm pretty sure I mulliganed every game. Yeah, I typically will mulligan, just to see more options. Um, It also goes worth noting that we played the 
best of three in bid chains on the third game format yesterday. And if I started the game with the chains, I would always mulligan because it's an easy way to shed one of those chains. It's almost like a non-existent chain to me. I'll go to five cards or six cards. No, it'd be five cards every time just to be able to shed that chain. I don't care what my cards in my hand were. Chains yeah. are worse later in the game. Right, getting rid of those chains as soon as possible is pretty big. Absolutely. But having played a fair number of games now, I don't see that there's any dead cards in my deck. There are some cards that are like not as beneficial, depending on the, the rest of the cards around them, but every card that I've played can at least generate me an amber or has some sort of direct effect with other cards in the deck. I know online there are some people who are saying they have dead cards and they're complaining to Fantasy Flight that you know the algorithm's broken and they want a refund or a new deck. And I, I don't understand it. I've seen 30 decks now and I don't think there's dead cards. I'm right on FFG forums. There was a thread that started about uh, dead cards in a deck and there's, you know, I've took, made note of three examples. One of them is the Sanctum card, Oath of Poverty, and it has no artifacts in the deck. Yeah, but Oath of Poverty does generate an amber for playing it. That that was my immediate thought is, well, if it's getting you amber, which is something you need to win the game, in my opinion, it's truly not a dead card. It's generating something for you. What are the other examples that you saw? Uh, the Logos card, Osmo Martianologist, excuse me, uh, there's with no Mars in the deck. Uh, again, it's another Ember Generator, but because there's no Mars, some people perceive that as a dead card. But like I said, you know, it's giving you that Ember. You need Ember to win the game. I mean, it's a creature. Correct. I believe he's too strength with Elusive. So, you know, he's a little bit harder to kill. I mean, not so much to, like, the blanket poison waves and stuff that'll damage everyone. But yeah, I mean, creatures do work for you. Even if they're text, it could be a blank box. It's still a creature who does something, just being a creature. Right. Whether they're reaping, attacking, especially if they have elusive, they'll sure. stay on the board a little bit longer. And the last one that I made note of was a disc card called Sacrificial Altar. It's an artifact, and there were no humans in the deck, but it does generate an ember when you play it. It does generate the amber. Uh, it's important to note that with Sacrificial Altar, there are no humans in the entire disfaction right now. So that card will always be seen as being underpowered, except when it gets Mavericked, and you love it when it hits Sanctum. Yeah, Sanctum. Uh, Logos has a couple humans also. Mm -hmm. uh, so those were the ones I noted, and like I said, my, my immediate response is those cards can still get you amber, which is something you need. Uh, I guess people expect, are used to building decks themselves and putting in the most optimal combinations of cards in the deck. Since this game is all generated by the algorithm, you're not always going to get the perfect matching of all the cards, but I don't believe you'll see a dead card in a deck. Yeah, I don't think you have the dead cards in the deck either. The algorithm has been pretty good at giving you 36 cards that function as an engine within themselves. Now, that engine might not be as fast or as powerful as a different deck's engine, but it still works. And the fact that every deck can work coming out of the box is huge. And, and well, related to this, then, what would your thought be to somebody that says, well, this deck is garbage, this deck is no good? 
I mean, to the people who have said that that I've actually interacted with, I say, here, take one of my decks and let me play this supposed garbage deck. Because I want to see how it works. Perhaps there's just not an obvious combo that they're seeing. Or maybe if they see how I play it, then they can maybe see what they missed in their play. I don't think there are garbage decks. I mean, there are decks that aren't as powerful as others, but I still wouldn't classify them as just dumpster fires of decks. They're still fine. Right. I have yet to see a deck where I would just throw in the garbage and be like, I'll never play this. This is complete trash. Um, we were talking just before we started recording this. Like we said, there are some decks where I don't want to say they autopilot themselves, but, well, like your most powerful deck, that deck almost <laughs> does autopilot itself. It kind of does. And, but there are some where the higher skill level will make a perceived weaker deck work just as well. So there is a, a neat format that's out there. Um, I don't know if it's fan-made at this point or if FFG has actually implemented it, but it's bring your worst deck format, right? So everyone brings their worst deck, and at the start of the round, you swap decks with your opponent. So you're being given their worst deck, and you need to beat your worst deck. So you want to bring the trashiest deck you think you have. And then when you hand it to everyone and they proceed to stomp you with it, you're going to realize maybe your deck's not as bad as you think it is. Yeah, I did see something on Facebook over the weekend, and actually somebody brought a horseman deck to one of those type events. And did it win or lose? I believe it lost. I know I might have had a winning record, but it didn't win the tournament. Oh, I mean, it's kind of funny, especially because of the price that the horseman decks are going for, that someone would bring it as like their their garbage deck. Right. That's kind of funny. I like it. Echo 3 to Echo 7. Kenny Blazel, buddy, can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, man, I can hear you just fine. I know we're working to address some of our echoing issues. I'd like to give a shout out to our friend Charlie for really hammering us with uh, our quality. So thanks, Charlie. Yeah, and for those that want to now push two for Spanish. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. Neither one of us speaks Spanish, but you're going to love this episode anyway. Absolutely. Say hablo espanol. Hola. Uh, at this point, I think we're going to move into our house spotlight section, and we're going to be starting uh, with Bald Mike's house this week, which is the Dis House. Which house was it? I believe it is Dis House. This house. And it's always going to be this house. I know I've heard people say, well, Brad Andres the, from FFG says it's supposed to, be, supposed to be pronounced Dees, but to me it is and forever will be this house. It is this house because it's a straight diss to your opponent when they have to see it across the table. And when I beat them, I can say, get out of this house. Oh, you would. Every time. All right, Mike, what's your first card? The first card from the diss section of this deck is Control the Weak. Control the Weak is an action. It generates one amber. And it says, play, choose a house on your opponent's identity card. Your opponent must choose that house as their active house on their next turn. And the next card, there's actually two of this card in this deck, is Gateway to Dis. Gateway to Dis is an action. Generates no amber. It says, play, destroy each creature, gain three chains. And with two copies in this deck, you better love those chains. <laughs> I don't think anyone loves taking chains, but man, board wipes are pretty good. So you're saying everybody wants to get off the chain? <laughs> I walked into it. <laughs> Listeners, I am sorry. The next card in this deck is Hand of Dis. Hand of Dis is an action. It says play, destroy a creature that is not on a flank. It's a fun card as long as your opponent has more than uh, two creatures 
because if they have only one, it's considered on a flank. And obviously, also, if they have two, each of those creatures is on a flank. So they'll have to have a couple of creatures out for you to actually ut utilize this card. Also, don't play it if they only have two creatures and you have a board, because you'll have to destroy one of yours. Good point. Next card in the deck is Tendrils of Pain. Tendrils of Pain is an action. It generates one amber. It says, play, deal one damage to each creature. Deal an additional three damage to each creature if your opponent forged a key on their previous turn. Always getting an ember is fun. It's what you need to win the game. The extra damage is even better, as long as you don't start wiping out your own board, so it's something you have to watch and time right when you play it. I mean, even if you wipe out your own board, it kind of works with some cards you have later in the deck anyway, so it's fine. That's Mutual destruction is always better when you're dis. Just wipe them all out. Uh, the next card in the deck is Hysteria. Hysteria is an action. It generates zero amber. It says play. Return each creature to its owner's hand. Mike, when this card gets played against me, no matter what deck is playing it, I hate it. It's pure disruption, and it's the worst. That's one thing I actually should have mentioned. Started out with this before I started going through the cards. This is a really controlled slash disrupt house. They have a bunch of uh, capture and steal. They make you discard cards with uh, not in this particular deck but my, I have a deck that I got Thursday night and the seal has three mind barbs in it and so that's for, why I like dis I like being able to control and have some say of what my opponent does for those that don't know mind barb is an action that generates one amber and it says play your opponent discards a card at random from their hand it's gross yeah especially with three in the deck absolutely that was a lot of fun playing Thursday night all right, so back to this list. Uh, the next card is Dominator Bauble. Dominator Bauble is an artifact. Generates zero amber. And it says, action, use a friendly creature. That's a great way to use uh, one of your creatures that you have on the board, not of this house. It's, it's cheating the rules a little bit, which is always fun. Uh, next is Lash of Broken Dreams. Lash of Broken Dreams is an artifact. Generates zero amber. Action, keys cost plus three during your opponent's next turn. This is what Dis likes to do. They like to manipulate, control what your opponent does, and this is a great way to stall your opponent from forging that key. Mike, I have a quick question for you. Shoot. So with Lash of Broken Dreams, you've played it against me, so it's in effect, right? My keys cost plus three this turn to forge. Correct. So I say I have eight amber at the end of my turn. Okay. Do I have to check... Because keys currently cost me nine to forge. Uh, at the end of your turn, you have eight. Correct. So I would say yes, because going into your next turn, the lashes effect will not be there. It's funny, because the rules say you have to say check if you can forge at current cost. Interesting. Yeah. It also says um, after your turn has ended. So I argue that my turn's over, so the during your opponent's next turn part of this card is now no longer in effect. So I would not have to... That was my thinking on it. But, I mean, our friend Charlie likes to argue otherwise. He likes to argue about everything. He sure does. Going Moving back on. to my list, the next card in the list is Dust Imp. Dust Imp is a creature, two strength. He says, destroyed, gain two amber. Who doesn't like getting two amber? I mean, who doesn't like getting two amber? But you have multiple ways to just damage or destroy the board. So he seems like good I, synergies. I do. He combos nicely with... You know, you could play. You have your dust imp out. You play gateway to maybe wipe your board, and you're wiping one of your own creatures and getting paid for it. 
Seems like a good deal to me. Seems fantastic. Next in the list is Pit Demon. Pit Demon is a creature with five strength. He says, action, steal one amber. Again, going back to manipulating and controlling what my opponent does. You thought you were going to forge a key on your next turn, but then the Pit Demon comes along and swipes one from you. And now you're sad because you can't forge that key. You are sad. You also usually don't get blindsided by him because he would be exhausted the turn he comes into play. But just knowing he's out there makes me sad. Yeah, it kind of paints a target on him. You have to deal with him or risk losing some ember. Yeah. And the next card in the list is Stealer of Souls. Stealer of Souls is a creature with six strength. It says, after an enemy creature is destroyed fighting Stealer of Souls, purge that creature and gain one amber. I love that creature. The purge ability is just the ultimate way of saying, get out of this house. And it gets you an ember. It definitely gets you an amber. Purging creatures is a pretty powerful effect in this game. Um, there's not a lot of cards that do it, but it is very powerful. And I believe we did get a minor ruling this week of the interaction between Bad Penny and Stealer of Souls. I believe the ruling has come down that Bad Penny's destroyed effect of putting her back in your hand happens before the Stealer of Souls would purge it. So Bad Penny will always return to your hand. So then you wouldn't get the amber for it. You wouldn't get the amber and it wouldn't be purged, regardless okay. of whose turn it is. Good to know. Yeah. And the last card in the deck is the rare for this, and it is Tolus. Tolus is a creature with one strength. He is elusive, and each time a creature is destroyed, its opponent gains one amber. Being elusive lets him stay on the board a little bit longer, which is pretty good. The one thing to note is, like, if you have him on the board and you play the gateway to Dis, gateway, I believe, is simultaneous, so his ability will not trigger. Correct. He'll be dead before he can pet you. Right. So you played this deck a few times this week, Mike. How did it work for you? I like it. I like the control cards that are in this deck for Dis. Uh, we actually just played a game just before we started recording, and I managed to win that game. You sure did. What did you think playing against this dis suite in the deck? Um, this suite isn't the worst dis deck I've played against. It was fairly consistent at keeping me sad. The two gateways, um, I didn't look at your list ahead of time, so I wasn't expecting a second one. Uh, it definitely hurt. My board was pretty wrecked. Uh, you kept it in pretty good control. Yeah, that's like I said, that's what they like to do. They like to control and manipulate things. What faction did you go with this week, Kenny? Uh, this week I went with Untamed, and you can check any of the decks that we're talking about on any of our social media outlets. The first card in my deck is Key Charge. I love Key Charge. It says, it's an action, it says play, lose an amber. If you do, you may forge a key at the current cost. This is by far the most cheapest way to cheat a key outside of the normal forge step. It's a fantastic card. It was played against me last week at the tournament, and the guy was able to forge in his regular step and key charge in the same turn to take the win. Like, it is extremely powerful. Being able to forge outside of your forge step is a really strong ability since that's how you win the game, by forging three keys. Absolutely. And, and unless I'm mistaken, Untamed actually is the only faction to have multiple cards that let you do that? I believe that's correct. And it also does it the cheapest at only a cost of one extra amber, which to me is just ridiculous. The next card in the deck is Mimicry. It's an action. When you play this card, treat it as a copy of an action card in your opponent's discard pile. 
And this card's extremely versatile. It'll copy any amber generation that is on the actions that your opponent has. But especially mid to late game, being able to see almost their entire deck of actions in their discard pile and being able to cherry pick the one you need at that moment is exceedingly good. I hate this card. Uh, or I should say I hate playing against this card. When I see this in one of my opponent's decks, it really makes me stop and think. Uh, what actions I'm going to play on my turn because I stop and think, well, is it likely for him to go into Untamed on his following turn and get a great benefit of a card I just played? Absolutely. Like, if I see a Mimicry against me, I will purposely, like, not pitch a bait and switch that isn't benefiting me or a board wipe. I'll hold on to him just to not get burned by the card later if I can help it. Uh, the next card in the deck kind of works with one of the creatures. It's situational, so I'll go over both of them. The action is Nature's Call. It generates an amber, and it says play, return up to three creatures to their owner's hands. And then the creature this kind of works with is Flaxia. It is a four-strength creature who says play, gain two amber if you control more creatures than your opponent. So the kind of board state combo is if I can play Flaxia first, uh, generate two if I have more creatures than you, and then play Nature's Call to bounce three, I'll pick two of yours and then my Flaxia to put back in my hand to replay her in the same turn to generate four, essentially, for that turn. It's a pretty good combo, if you can hit the board state. Yeah, if you can hit it right. Getting four embers a big, big swing on one turn. Absolutely. Especially in the house that has the key charge. So it's nice to have such a big amber swing that quick. Uh, the next creature in the deck is Mermook. He is a three-strength creature. And he says your opponent's keys cost plus one amber. So not only is Untamed letting you cheat and forge out of turn, but they're making me pay a tax to forge my keys. Yeah, and he's just a giant crab. In my mind, I always picture him carrying like the knife from the videos, and he's just like wandering around on the beach trying to stab me with a knife while I'm trying to forge a key. He's a jerk. Big jerk. Uh, next creature in the deck, there's actually four of them. There's four Niffle Apes, and he goes with the Niffle Queen, which there's one of. So the Niffle... The Niffle Ape says, is a creature with three strength, and he says, while the Niffle Ape is attacking, ignore Taunt and Elusive. And then the Niffle Queen is a six-strength creature that says each other friendly beast gains plus one power, and each other friendly Niffle gains plus one power. So the Niffle Ape is both a beast and a Niffle, so he becomes a five-strength creature with the Queen down. He's really strong, being able to ignore Taunt and Elusive, just be able to punch who you need to punch. Yeah, that that is huge because a lot of times somebody will put a creature that they that might be a one or two strength but has a great ability, and they'll put them next to a big sanctum guy that has taunt. So you have to get through the, either a five or six strength, and usually with one or two armor sanctum creature before you can take out uh, the creature that's causing you problems. Absolutely. I, I just really like that he can ignore these keywords that are so pesky. Uh, next card is Hunting Witch. Is a two-strength creature. And it says, each time you play another creature, gain one amber. I mean, any creature that can generate more amber when you play it just is like the bee's knees to me. Yeah, it's really good, especially with some of the creatures they have in Untamed. Uh, one of the fairies gets you two when you play it. Yeah, the Dust Pixie. The Dust Pixie just for playing so now you're going to get a third if you have that card in play first that seems really good it is really good hunting witch is one of the sought after cards for some of the decks we're seeing online now for secondary market they're always asking for hunting witches 
And the final card in the deck is Way of the Wolf. It's an upgrade that generates one amber, and it says this creature gains skirmish. Uh, this card's really good putting it on the Niphilate if the queen's down. Now he's a five-strength hunter that can attack anybody and doesn't take any damage back. That's pretty good. Yeah, being, being able to go after one of your opponent's creatures and not have to worry about trading or losing your own creature in return, it seems like a pretty strong effect. Yeah, it's skirmish on anyone's really good. I just extremely like it on the Niphilabes to cherry-pick the guys that I really don't want to deal with. Yeah, especially in that deck where you can get them, up, like you said, up to the five strength. Now, I played this deck a few times this week, and honestly, it doesn't do very well. The rest of the deck doesn't show up. Um, but I liked the Untamed Suite in here, just because there's a lot of Niffle creatures, and I wanted to see how they would play together. And if you can keep the board, they work really well. Uh, when you played against it, did you notice anything terribly spooky? Well, I don't like seeing those Niffle Apes get to be that big, so I'd try to either take out the Queen as soon as I can, or hopefully you don't get multiple apes out at the same time to give me a headache. Yeah. And going back to the queen, it does say it gives beasts the bonus also, correct? It does. Uh, that's one thing that some people are not catching on. There are other creatures in Ontane that have the beast uh, keyword. Absolutely, like Mermook. Like Mermook and the uh, Ancient Tiger. Ancient Tiger, Ancient Bear. Right. All of those are also beasts that would also benefit. So a lot of people think, well, it doesn't have Niffle in the title, so it's not going to get the bonus. Sure, I can see where the, some initial confusion might come in. But as always, read the cards. Definitely. Definitely read the cards. Even all the way down to the flavor text. <laughs> Especially down to the flavor text, you might walk away with a smile on your face. So, Kenny Blaze, one thing I think we want to talk about this week is, throughout the week I've been scanning the Facebook Keyforge group, and I noticed three posts that kind of tie together into one broader topic. The first one I noticed was somebody asking, how do I build a Keyforge community at my local store? The next one was one that I actually noticed yesterday afternoon. Somebody reported on, or I shouldn't say reported, they posted on the Facebook group that he drove over an hour in the rain to a Keyforge tournament and nobody showed up. This blew me away. I was like, where, how can there be some place where people aren't playing Keyforge? And then the last one was another post that actually got quite a few comments is whose responsibility is it for building a Keyforge community? Is it the players or is it the store? What are your thoughts on some of these, Ken? Well, I want to start with your third topic here. The responsibility of a community either to the players or the store. I personally feel it's the responsibility of the players to build their community. A store is a glorified venue primarily their store is there to do business make money for the people who own the store you typically don't make a whole bunch of money by catering to very specific communities like you they are a space to go play a game now if they want to go out of their way to even order the kits and host events for you it's a brand new game that good on them but the, the onus really falls to the people who want to play the game to generate that interest to get more people to come out like you have to be a welcoming community you have to get those people interested because you are the ground line that first face people see i agree with a lot of that um i also 
believe that there is a partial responsibility on the store, uh, especially in this day and age where social media is so huge, uh, the stores can post on Facebook and other outlets to announce that they're having events for these games. Because after all, if they're in your store for, say, Keyforge, while they're there, they might buy something else and generate more income, which means the store is going to stay open and we'll have places to go and play. But a community doesn't have to be at a store. We could play at the library. You could have people over at your house. You don't need a community to be centralized around a game store. You're correct in that, but it, there's always going to be those competitive people or the people that want uh, the regular FFG kit tokens or even some of these cool play mats that we're going to be seeing when they come out. Uh, so for those things, you do need a store. Well, there's always the secondary market on eBay if you're a store, or you don't have a store. There are people who live in areas that don't have local game stores, but yet they still have a community, especially with the online stuff. Um, Crucible.online, you could play Keyforge, never setting foot inside a store. You can register your decks on the app, and you can import them and play online. I think more so in this day and age than 15, 20 years ago, you don't need a store to play it. In fact, the store is really just there to sell you product. Are you ready for the bald mic rant? I am prepared to listen. Okay. I hate those things, those online things. You know, kudos to the people that program things like Tabletop Simulator and The Crucible. I, I don't have anything against them personally, but they're far more smarter than I am for being able to do that sort of thing. But for me, Keyforge and any other type of card game, miniatures game, it's about getting away from all these electronics that we're bombarded with every day now and nowadays. It's about being down at that game store with my friends hanging out, talking trash face-to-face, getting that one-on-one in-person interaction that you can't get from a computer screen. I mean, I agree personally. I only use Crucible to play with Charlie, someone I know in real life, um, just because we're physically separated at that moment, but we still want to play Keyforge. I know Netrunner went through this with Jinteki Online and Octagon. I don't think hard games should be digital. Even I don't, would prefer if Keyforge didn't go digital. I like playing in person. But the fact is, it's out there. And people kind of expect it now with Hearthstone, with MTG Arena. They think that games need to have an online presence. So companies kind of chop out that middleman in the game store. I mean, FFG and Asmodee sell direct. Wizards now sells direct on Amazon. They've cut out their stores. So, I don't know. The The local game store almost seems like a dying breed to me. And I love the game store, but I don't think the responsibility is on the store to build the community. Their responsibility is to host an event. But if I can't generate people to come as a community leader, then my community is doing poorly and it's on me. Well, I think by hosting the events, they're kind of helping to build the community. They're giving the community some place, like I said, to meet and play and hopefully play for official FFG prizes and merchandise. I agree that they help. I just don't feel the responsibility is on them. No, definitely not 100%. Like I said, I, I think there's a mix as far as that goes. Um, also, so that's pretty much what we have for the actual in-person, in-store communities, online community almost builds itself. Anytime FFG has a game, 
there's right away they have their own message boards and forums for people to post on the Facebook groups kind of pop up themselves and you know there's that one large keyforge group there's also a buy sell trade group and also recently a woman on us uh, that was part of that group decided to create her own Facebook group called the women of keyforge and as far as I know this is the first one that's a women only group for any game that I'm aware of uh, so I, I reached out to her her name is Ann Elizabeth and just said you know that's a great thing to do bringing new people in this game because it does appeal to such a wide audience Keyforge itself appeals to a wide audience. Correct. Yeah. This is not the first game to do a women-only group. Uh, there was Women of Netrunner, um, was a group that was started a few years ago. Uh, especially in FFG games, they seem to try to make the, I don't want to say diverse groups, but the less populated groups in gaming, they, they do like to give them a home. Which is good for them. Right, because a lot of times that main group can be a little intimidating. We've come to the end of the show. If you've liked what you've heard over the past few weeks and you want to help support the podcast, you can visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash offthechainpodcast. Once we hit 15 patrons, we'll have a blind deck giveaway on the second Saturday of every month. You can always email us at ask.offthechainpodcast at gmail. You can follow us on social media. Facebook is Off The Chain, a Keyforge podcast. Twitch and Instagram is Off The Chain podcast. Twitter, Off The Chain show. As always, I'm Kenny Blaze, along with Bald Mike. Hit him with that catchphrase. Keep forging. Keep forging. Good night, everybody. Good night.